Good morning. Good to see you here. Uh, just two quick things. Uh, first one, update on the building. Next week I'll have some video because I think um, I can show you something that'll be like a major change since the last video I've shown, but I'll give you an update. Was there for uh, a lot of the day on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, all the framing is completely done. They've begun to, yeah, it, it is. You know, the, the project started December 26th last and um, here we are 13 months into the project and you know when a project goes good uh, and smooth from beginning to end like you've got to sell two buildings you've got to locate the new property then you've got to build up or build out whatever you're going to be doing they say if everything goes well that's usually a three-year process we're at about 13 months right now. So let me, let me tell you what we're looking at. I'll start the countdown here. I still, until they give me a drop dead, we're committed. But I'll give you an idea. We are probably right now uh, 14 weeks from meeting in our sanctuary. Um, and I stood in our sanctuary uh, on Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday. Literally stood in the sanctuary. and it, You know, it's all framed out now. They've actually started putting up drywall in the sanctuary. So dimensions and everything are already set and they're there and where everything's going to be at. You guys, I know. <laughs> How do you communicate? You know, it is incredible. It's beautiful, yes. And it's going to allow us to do so much, yes. But I know, I, I know it sounds like, oh, pastor's just pumping it. The best days of our church and we have had many good days. Jake, it's actually 24 years when we crossed into uh, 22. We're in our 24th year right now. That building is going to allow us to do ministry that has been in my heart for over 30 years. We've just never had the opportunity or the timing to do. I stood in that sanctuary. I can see what God is going to do. I walked through the, the nurseries and, and the youth room, Eric and Brooke. You talk about being at the right place at the right time, you guys. My goodness, that is going to be good. And then in the training center, I know there's no one even signed up for it yet, but I see that thing full. I see it meeting needs. I see people going into all the world in so many different ways, not just traditionally in ministry, but reaching people that, that we've never even thought about. How could we reach those people? Our church is going to be a church that sends into all the world, folks. We're not going to send someone somewhere else to figure out how to do that. We're going to be that agent that sends into all the world. We've built a prayer room there that is dedicated for nothing else except for people to come in and pray. We're trying to figure out how we can leave it open so that people have access to it when they want to have access to it. And uh, just look, can you imagine a strategic place where we start praying around the clock? for different parts of like we're going to go into the 1040 window what if we said we're going to start praying for the next three months 24 hours a day seven days a week for a place before we ever go so that the hearts of the people are more ready than ever can you imagine something and if you're like pastor what what are you talking about hang on baby i'm gonna take you for a ride you have no idea you have, and if you sit there like, that's crazy. I hope you're the one in there from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the morning. 
that says to me, I can't imagine how God did this, and it will be God and God alone. So I just so much, so much to look forward this coming, and just get ready, folks, get ready. Uh, and then the, the other thing, real quickly, um, after, this is the last message in our series, The Way Back to God. And what we decided to do, we're going to stick with this uh, The Way Back theme for the first three messages of the year. So this one has been The Way Back to God. The next one, uh, starting next week, is The Way Back to Relationship. And part of that's going to be on marriage and on relationships in particular. And uh, so you'll, I don't want to give it all away. Uh, Chris and I are going to tag team in one of those messages and teach together. We've done that before. If you've been around for any length of time, she is a tremendous teacher. And together, uh, it represents both sides of the wholeness that God has. And I think that you'll enjoy that. Uh, and, then, um, and then when that one's done, it's Easter time, believe it or not. And so the way back to the cross will be the, the third uh, message in the series, right? And we'll uh, set that up for Easter. And uh, look, it's impossible for us to be in that building by Easter. Absolutely impossible. And that's why I want you to pray that the God who does the impossible. So this is what the word tells us. What's impossible with man is it's possible with God. It's impossible. And I keep saying that in the emphatic so that everybody understands. I'm not trying to sneak something under the rug like, oh, look. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. But God. But God. And so I want you to pray that way. I will not be disappointed if that's not what the Lord does. But I will be awful excited if he does do that. And I will shout from the rooftop. Wow, look at what, what our God has done. So just want you to get ready. Starting next week, um, I'll be doing that first message in the series uh, the way back to relationship. And I think you'll appreciate that. It's been quite some time since we've taught on some of those things and um, just been gathering a lot of material. And I think that the Lord has a lot. I'm real excited to teach on that right there. So, uh, so this is the final message uh, in the Way Back to God series. We've been using 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, which I hope by now, after the last four weeks, five weeks, that you all are able to at least tell me what uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says. So uh, let's pull it up real quick. Um, it should be, yep, you can see it. Read it with me, okay? I'll count to three and then let's start. One, two, three. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So what we've done is go piece by piece through this, talking about uh, what it means to participate in this and how God would do this. And part of what we did is that we had a two-week fast during this, um, and we fasted for nothing else except for more of the Lord's presence. And I did bring this out before we started fasting, trying to help people. Seldom when I fast do I see any benefit during the fast, right? Usually what I find during the fast is I, I need the Lord's grace to get through the fast, right? And I, how many of you participated in some way uh, in this fast? Hold your hands up just for a second. Look around, church. That's, praise God, look around, man. What that tells us, two things. We have some hungry people uh, in the room, but hungry for God. I am praying, incessantly praying, the staff is praying that your hunger for the Lord will increase as never before because I know this, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And what will they be filled with? They'll be filled with him. 
Jesus is our righteousness. I am praying your spiritual life goes up like this this year, regardless of what the stock market does. Hey, disconnect your spiritual growth from the stock market, okay? And regardless of what happens with COVID, and regardless of what goes on in government, and regardless of what's happening in your neighborhood, I'm praying that your spiritual life will go like this, and that will be the focus, so that regardless of anything else that's going on, you're okay. Your hunger is being sat. You can say, I am good because God is good. That's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for a year of spiritual growth like you've never experienced before. I'm praying that one year from now, these two things will be true. You will be spiritually hungry and satisfied, growing, and that the Denver Broncos will be preparing to go into the Super Bowl one year from right now with Aaron Rodgers as our quarterback going into. I've got the microphone. Now knock it off. All right. So it's the final message in the Way Back to God series. And the only thing that we haven't covered in this series is that last part where God said, uh, if my people who are called by my name, these four things, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. So we're going to talk today about what it means to repent. Uh, he uses that idea of turning from wicked ways. So I want to point out a couple of things to you real quick. If you're using the online notes, there's some fill in the blanks. But let me say these real quickly uh, to you. Um, number one, uh, for the context... Uh, it begins, will you pull that back up real quick? I'm sorry, you, you're, yeah. So if, if my people, the first three words, if my people. So the context of this is written to who? To, to us, that's the fair way to say it, to God's people. How many people in here are God's people? Okay, so this is not being written to, this is important, pay attention to this. This is not being written to people who are outside of the covenant. This is not being written to people who have never, who don't know God, have never said to God, I need you. Now, this is Old Testament for sure, but God's covenant. We don't have some covenant that they didn't have. The Bible says we've been grafted into the covenant. Read the book of Romans. We've been grafted into the covenant. The covenant that God gave to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. The covenant we have, though, is based on better promises, based on Jesus and his work. All of those things. The Old Testament is, is symmetry coming into the New Testament, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. It's important that you understand the context here, because God is telling people in this statement that they need to turn from their wicked ways. We have a limited understanding of repentance in that most of us think repentance is what you do when you come to God for the very first time. Like, you know, when you gave your heart to the Lord, you repented from your sins. You repented from the way you were living your life. You repented from the direction you were going. So to repent means if you're walking this way, literally it means to change your mind. To walk the other way. To, you, you walk, you're on the path of death, whether you knew it or not. And now you begin to walk on the path of life because you heard God call you and you begin to walk with God. That's a good working definition for repentance. And it's a true definition. But here's the problem. If it's only confined to salvation, then we should never find any scriptures written to believers that encourage them to repent. And if they're believers, that means they've already gone beyond the act of salvation, correct? Because you can't be a believer until you believe. That's a simple one, guys. I'm going to try one more. You can't be a believer until you believe. Oh, you're so stinking smart, man. That is an awesome answer. So if, if repentance 
and our definition of repentance is only at salvation, then you should never find scriptures that encourage a believer to repent or we have to change our definition of what repentance means. So I just point to you, if my people who are called by my name, you can't be called by his name unless you're his people, Okay, then he tells them, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and repent, turn from their wicked ways. So there has to be a greater definition than repentance is only necessary at salvation. You agree with that? Yes. So therein, that's where we're going to go today, what we're going to talk about, and the necessity for repentance to be an ongoing thing in the life of a believer. So let me just say these three things to you real quickly. When God talks about turning from their wicked ways, it's a literal definition of repentance, to turn from and to turn to. It's written to his people, so repentance is more than a one-time-at-salvation concept. Listen to this. Repentance is an attitude of the heart that every believer should always have a heart that's quick and ready to repent. So why do you need to repent? How many of you sin? If you didn't raise your hand, you are sinning right now. How many of you sin today? To be honest about so you know, look, even you I'm just not sure. I am. Raise your hand. I'm sure. It's because you live in a fallen world, you live and you wrestle with flesh. The very, the very fact that the nature of salvation is that you're not in a war until you are born again. And when you become born again, if you find yourself struggling with sin, it's not the proof that you're not saved, it's the proof that you are saved. Because before you weren't struggling with it. You were good at it. And you were proud of it. And you didn't even recognize it. Now the reason it bothers you and that you struggle is because you really are born again. Of course, the devil tells you, well, a good Christian wouldn't think that, say that, do that, act that. A good Christian wouldn't. So you love that word, good Christian. Good Christian. Think that the word teaches us honestly that we're in a battle. And so if we are in a battle and you admitted, we had a little fun, but you admitted that we all find ourselves still struggling with flesh and we still sin, then the reason repentance is necessary after salvation is because if we are faithful and just to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. It's an on repentance. I get repentance for the first time that's like that brokenness. Oh God, I'm lost without you. But then there's also this repentance that keeps your heart in a very soft and tender place. Uh, Psalms 37.4 says, uh, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of you like that scripture? Yeah. Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. To delight yourself in the Lord means literally to have a tender and pliable heart. That's what it means. So who does God then give the desires of their heart to? Those whose hearts are in a tender and pliable place so that God can direct your heart. God can move your heart. God can speak to your heart. When we're asking for stuff and our heart is in the wrong place, how many parents in this room? Just raise your hand real quick. You've raised a kid. How many of you know just because your kid asks for something doesn't mean you should give it? <laughs> this, yes, you know. You, there are times, they could ask at one point, you could have the same kid at one point in their life and they're in a really good place. You could have that same kid at another point in their life, they're in a really bad place, and maybe they ask for the exact same thing. If you give it to them and their heart's in a good place, you can give it to them and it's not a curse to them. But if you give it to them and their heart's in a bad place, it's a curse to them. It's a perfect example. 
I grew up part of my life in Louisiana. Now, back in this time, right, dinosaurs were still dying out. They weren't quite extinct yet, but it's a long time ago. You could get your driver's license when you were 15 years old. 15. So I got my driver's license. Can you imagine, I was going to say your son, but let's be more. Can you imagine yourself at 15? Can you remember those days? Can you remember, like, how dangerous it would have been for you to get a driver's license at 15? Because it was for me. I turned 15, the day I turned 15, I went and got a driver's license. And my mom said to me, all right, I'm going to let you go solo. Here's all I want you to do. You run up to the store on the corner. And you get some milk and you get some bread. Give me a little list. So I got it, jumped in that car. I drove exactly right to my girlfriend's house. <laughs> right to my girlfriend's house. Just, I didn't even, like, a 15-year-old boy's brain. Anybody raised a 15-year-old boy? You're doing it right now. You, you're, I don't know what it is. There's part reptile, part, so, it's not come together yet. So she said, listen to me. Like, I'm going to trust you. I mean, the whole thing. I'm trusting you. This is my car, a 76 Ford LTD. I'm trusting you. This is my car. It's the only car we have. Now, I'm going to, tr you drive to the store, get the milk, get the sugar, get, maybe it was a pack of cigarettes or something, and then you come back. I'll be right back. I drove by that store and didn't even look at it. Another 15 minutes down the road to my girlfriend's house, she comes, ah! and I felt like, I'm, now I'm living. I've waited 15 years to start, now I'm living. She jumps in the car, we go for a ride, right? And then she says, let me drive, she's 14. And I said, absolutely. So I sit real close to her, got my arm around her, and she's driving my mom's big LTD. And we get out on the road, and God is my witness. We come to a stoplight. She stops real good, and then we do what? Should I stop there? Okay. So the light changes while I'm necking. It's an old-fashioned word for, it was not naked, necking, necking, necking. And so somebody behind us honks because the light turns green, but we're kissing, right? So I look up, and she punches it without, and the lady in front of us hadn't left yet. So she smashes, bam, right into the back of the lady. And it's an older lady who literally opens her door and falls out of the car. We, I, I mean, I'm like, now I realize Man, I'm not supposed to be over here. I don't even have the groceries that my mom wanted. What am I going to do? And the police come, and they take the lady to the hospital, and my girlfriend's father comes, and he's, he was a detective. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he, you know, and then my mom comes. And, of course, I get a ticket for it, and, you know, we're in the car, and she's just like, <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> and she says, you are not mature enough to drive a car. You are not going to drive. And, dude, I started crying at 15 years old. Oh, you can't 
do that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I promise. I swear. I'll give up everything, but you cannot keep me from driving. I am just so sorry, so sorry, but I'm not repentant. Because I would have jumped right back in that car and I would have done the same thing. All here's I was sorry I got caught. You ever been there? I wasn't sorry for what happened. I mean, sorry, yes, but not enough like, this was really stupid. It was like, this would have worked out fine. We could have got away with this. You ever been there? It's that heart. We'll talk about that in a minute. That heart. To give a 15-year-old kid who's in the right place the right to drive? Sure. I had friends who could do it. But this 15-year-old kid wasn't in the right place. My heart was in totally the wrong place. So you can give the same gift to two people, and one it's a blessing and one it's a curse. Do you understand? Yeah. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of this. So what we think is as long as I, well, I love the Lord, so I, I can just ask and he's going to give me. No, make your heart soft. Your heart has to be in the right place for God to be able to bless you. That's good. Otherwise, it's a curse to you. Yeah. Do you hear that? Yeah. Why'd you get so quiet? Do you disagree with me? Repentance is an attitude of the heart. And then last, just real quick, it's just a statement. There is false humility and there is also false repentance. I just gave you a great declaration of it. I was, I cried tears, but they weren't tears of how could I do that? They were tears, I got caught and you're taking something away from me. In fact, I really felt she was wrong, not me. I know nobody else in the room can even understand what I'm saying right now. Sometimes I use these examples and I think, this group is so, I'm so far under them. They'll never even be able to relate to what I'm saying. But Okay, if you're taking notes, you want to fill in the blanks. Let's do these three things real quick. Number one, let's talk about times of refreshing. Remember, what I'm trying to teach you here is that repentance is not some one-time thing that you do at salvation, but that repentance, all through the Bible, you'll find scriptures written to believers that talk about the need to repent. I'm going to show you all over the place. So let's talk about times of refreshing. Refreshing is the fill in the blank. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. The apostle Paul writing, Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. And then this is what I want you to see. So that, what's that next word? Okay, no, just, just that one word. So that, singular or plural? meaning at least twice. But if you look that word up in the Greek right there, it means present tense. So that what it's saying is that God doesn't just have this, like when you come to the Lord and you're unburdened by your sin and God restores you and God, He reconciles you and your heart is clean and you're made brand new. There's a, how many of you have experienced that refreshing that comes from the Lord? You know what I mean? How many of you can say, I had this, this life-changing experience. I was this person and after salvation I became this person. And maybe it didn't happen all at once, but you know that, that moment where everything changed for you, at least inside. How many of you can say, I know what you're talking about? And if you can't say that, mm, wrestle with this a little bit with me. Wrestle with me just a little bit, or at least wrestle with the word here. The word times 
literally in the Greek means present tense. God wants to send ongoing times of refreshment to you. And a connection for these times of refreshment is a heart that's in the right place. A repentant, ongoing, repentful heart. Not a heart that's just broken and can't get up and it's just like, I'm a, I'm a wretch. I'm a, but a heart, that's, a heart that always recognizes its need for God. Like, you needed, you needed a Savior the day you gave your life to Jesus, and you needed a Savior every day since that day. You don't get clean enough, smart enough, good enough, saved enough where you don't need a Savior anymore. You're in the same boat you were the day you came to Jesus, and that boat was, I need a Savior. You still need a Savior. You need Him right now as much as you needed Him then. You say, but I don't do all the things that I used to do. Praise God for that. But you still are growing in Christ and you still need a Savior to get you there. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. In. The idea that we always have to stay in that place with Him. So times of refreshing. It's plural. There are ongoing, present tense times of refreshing. So what does it mean, refreshing? In the Holy Spirit, refreshing in His kingdom. Uh, look at Romans 14, 17 for a great definition. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, like physical things. But the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of you need more joy? Aren't you glad that the day you come to God, He gives you joy? But aren't you glad that from that day forth, He fills your life with joy? How many of you need more joy right now? How many of you are living in a world that sucks the joy out of you? Tell me the truth. Dude, we need to be filled with joy. There's not enough joy just on the day of salvation. You have enough joy for that day, but now you live this day. So you need times of joy. Righteous. How many of you need more peace in your life? How many of you had a situation in the last week that you need peace from? And I buried... <laughs> One of my good friend's wives just a couple of days ago. And in that, Bob called me yesterday. We buried Soraya on Friday. And Bob called me yesterday and he said to me, Pastor, I have never been in a funeral like that. Dude, we laughed and we cried. And we hurt and we rejoiced. The benefit of doing the funeral of a person who loves Jesus is that all of those things are a part. Paul said it's okay to grieve, but grieve like people who have hope. So we weep and our hearts break, and yet we know we're not committing a body to the ground where it'll just decay and we'll never see her again. She's on streets of gold right now, knowing what we don't know. And Bob even wrote a letter that he had me read, and he said, if you could come back, would you? No, you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> You know what we don't know, and yet we have to, by faith, believe. And this is the difference, that even in the moment of great sadness, and just like, oh, this hurts so much, underneath it, it's on a bed or a foundation of great joy and peace, that God is good, and God is for us, and that we're going to get through this, and there's going to be a good tomorrow. So just because you have this act of salvation where you repent and God is so good to you, oh, I just feel, I feel free, I feel relieved, I, whatever, you, whatever you would use to describe that moment of salvation, God is so good that he wants you to 
always be able to experience peace and joy and righteousness. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So I asked you if you need more joy, you said yes. I asked you if you need more peace, you said yes. How many of you need more righteousness? So what righteousness, a definition of righteousness, a working one? Righteousness is just to be in right standing with God. And so the Bible says this about our righteousness. This is Corinthians. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see all the mistakes. He doesn't see the failure. He doesn't see all the shortcomings. God looks at you through the lens that you're in Christ. So he sees this redeemed person who he loves. He sees you, yes, for where you are right now, but he also sees you for where you're going to be. Wouldn't you love to be able to look at a person and not just see where they are today, but see where they're going to be in 10 years from now? To know, and then this is what he's really good at. He's the one who directs, we plan our ways, but he directs our steps to get us into that finished product. He knows, he knows. It's why you can look at a person's life. We have trouble separating an action from a person. God can do it because he knows the outcome of your life. He sees it all, and he's good. And he's planning and working right now to get you into that good place. So regardless of what it feels like today, God's not done. He uses all things. Say that with me. All things. That means the thing that's hurting you right now. God can do good in your life with all things. This isn't pastor having a good moment preaching right now. This is the reality of the gospel of the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ. Amen. He uses all of these things. Yeah. All of these things. Ah, well, I'd like to spend some more time there, but got more good stuff. So then the question is, do believers need to repent more than one time? Look at Romans chapter 2. Are you there? Yes, you are. Uh, this starts at... Uh, Four, part B. I left out the first sentence. Uh, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? So God's kindness, why do we have God's kindness? It's to lead us to repentance. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day uh, of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. So what this is telling us right here is that repentance, his kindness should bring us to a place of not just going, oh, that's good that God is kind. That's good that God is nice. His kindness should put our hearts in a place where we're always tender towards God. Even when we fail, even when we struggle, even when stuff is going on around us in our world, like this stupid disease that there seems to be no end for. God wants our hearts in a place where that's not the focus of our life. He is the focus of our life. Because what you focus on, listen to this, what you focus on is what you become like. I'm going to say it one more time. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Just accept this. What you focus on is what you become like. If you focus on anger, you become an angry person. If you focus on fear, you become a fearful person. If you focus on pride, you become a prideful person. And if you focus on Jesus, you become like Jesus. And the whole point of everything we do is that we are becoming more and more like Christ. We are to become to the measure of the fullness of the man, Christ Jesus. 
we're going to look more and more and more like him. I, when my kids were little, one of my great pleasures was to hold them up and, while Chris wasn't looking, do I see myself in this child? <laughs> I think their eyes look like me. I think their nose looks like my nose. I can't. I, I, yes, I see it. Ah, I see it. That makes me so happy. Can you imagine in a supernatural way that when God looks into our face that he loves to see shining back at him that we look like him. That we're not looking more and more like the enemy. That we're looking more and more like him. The character of Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. How do you know you're becoming more like Jesus? When we see reflected in our lives more love and more peace and more joy and more patience and more kindness, God looks and goes, they're looking more and more like me every day. How many of you would love to reflect more love and joy in your life, man? Like, if you don't raise your hand, no, I, I want more anger. I want more ugly. I want more bitter. I don't have enough bitterness. Or you know what? I want to overflow in bitterness. We say that, right, and it sounds so silly, and yet there will be people this week who will practice, you will become more bitter because you focus on bitterness. I'm calling it in a direct line, like here's A, here's B. What you'll do, no, there's nuance to it. These things happen to me, and these people are doing this to me, and so you don't understand. I'm telling you, as long as you're stuck in that thing, you're becoming more and more like that thing. And then this is what you say. That, that, it's, what he preaches just doesn't work. It's just not like that. Yeah, he's, you know, that guy's naive is what he is. He's a pastor. Because all they do, if you ever, you know what a pastor does? They listen to worship music about like 18 hours out of 24. <laughs> And then they pray, and they only hang around people who believe the same things. They don't have a real life. <laughs> so, of course, he can say those things. But if he had my life, he wouldn't be that way. Oh, my. <laughs> I'll admit, I wouldn't trade places with anybody. Because I'm doing exactly what God called me to do. But if you don't think <laughs> that we deal all day long with opportunities to be petty and to be jealous and to be bitter and to be ugly. You know, when I say that we reflect those things, like what we stare at, what we focus on is what we become like. You know, a person who gets bitterness in their heart is what I'm talking about. Do you know someone who's bitter? And so what do they talk about? Bitter. Usually it's about that thing that happened to them. You can have a conversation with them like, you know, in 2022 and they're talking about that thing. You move away, you go on a vacation, you're gone for a long time, you come back and you meet them again in 2024 and within five minutes, what are you talking about again? That same thing. Anybody, you, did you marry somebody? No, I mean, did you, do you know somebody who married somebody like that? <laughs> okay, I'm moving on. I get it, I get it, I get it. Here's the second one if you want to fill in the blank. And we're talking about do believers 
need to have an attitude of repentance beyond salvation. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite scriptures. My goodness, in 24 years, I've used this scripture multiple times to teach from. Here's why. Guard your heart, what? Guard your heart, and then you're going to read the next three words. Guard your heart. If the Bible tells you above everything else, and you are a Christ follower, you love the Word of God, you try to live your life according to this book. This book is not just just one of the many ways to find truth, but you have decided this is the only way to find truth. Anybody in the room like that? The preacher's got both hands up, dude. I made my mind up. Be proud of that and raise your hand. Quick, don't act like a ninny. Come on. Be proud of that thing. Somehow we live in a world where you're a wimp for carrying a Bible. Do it one day and find out if it takes a wimp or it takes a person of true character and integrity to do it. It's easy to hide something. Put it out there. I believe this. And I don't just read it because it's good literature. I read it because it's the path of life. It guards me and it keeps me and it helps me. It keeps my mind sane. So in the Bible then, of all the things in the Bible, 2 Timothy 3 says everything in the Bible is profitable for teaching, for encouragement, for edification. Everything. So if everything in the Bible is good, and then the Bible itself says above all else, then we should like get it. This should be important to us. Guard your heart above everything else. And here's why. Because from your heart, the course of your life is going to come. Who you are, how you think, how you live, who you marry, and who you don't marry, comes from right here. You think it comes from right here. It comes from right here. What happens to you 20 years from now doesn't come because of circumstances in the economy. What happens to you 20 years from now is right from right here. Everybody lives within the economy. Well, but the rich people don't have to do... Rich people are messed up too, dude. Rich people commit suicide. Rich people are alcoholics. Don't think that... Come on. Everything comes from your heart. Everything comes from your heart. And that's why the admonition is, above everything else, you must guard your heart. So I'm going to be real with you. My number one thing that I'm still working on today is learning how to guard my heart. So I'm one of these people, I keep my guard down. I kind of treat everybody the same and equal. The Bible says this about Jesus. When he recognized that a person was this, the Bible says this, he wouldn't give his heart to them. He wouldn't give his heart to them. He'd interact with them, but he wouldn't give himself or give his heart to them. Because he knew, I'm not worthy of having my heart. And one of the most difficult, I'm 58 years old and I still struggle with how do you guard your heart. Because when you don't guard your heart, 
Oh my goodness, the things you let into your heart. And here's the problem. It doesn't come with a flashing warning. Warning, warning. No person walks up, warning, warning, I'm going to kill you. Warning, warning, I'm going to hurt you bad. Warning, warning. They all come up with a big, hey man, let me in your heart. I'm good for you. Yeah, oh you are, come on then. Anybody else like just trusting? I think that maybe the pastor nature. To have to love people, so like treat everybody the same. And the truth of the matter is, not everybody can have that access to your heart because what happens is, you get the wrong thing in your heart. Here's what I've learned. See if you know this is true. Wrong thing in your heart can take a long time to get it back out of your heart. Oh man, a broken heart. Rhetorical. You do not need to respond. I just want you to think about it. Have you ever had a broken heart? ever been so disappointed that you just you didn't think you could live anymore you ever been so hurt that you didn't want to trust anybody some of the most difficult counseling Julia that I've ever had to do that natural wisdom can't You can't be smart enough to figure it out. It takes the Holy Spirit. When I have counseled couples, uh, when a woman's heart has been so broken by a man that she's closed it off. Not because she's being mean, but because she cannot survive if I don't close my heart off. Nobody has to look or wink or... You can all act like you don't know what I'm talking about right now. I'm sure it's for those heathens that come at 11. Anyway, I'm just... (laughs) It's just a good place to... It's the most difficult counseling I've ever had to do is to meet with that couple and then it's like a bowl of spaghetti where you, all the strands go in, right? It's like one big... And, you, and so they'll tell you this one thing and then it goes through all of this pile of stuff and maybe it's here or maybe... How do I straighten? And then when you pull it, it snaps and breaks. So, so you tell... Like this woman comes in, Pastor, we're... we're we're going to divorce if we can't fix this. Fix it. Okay. So one of the things that has to happen for us to go forward is you're going to have to be willing to open your heart back up. Anybody hear me right now? See, we think of a broken heart, you know, some teenage thing. Broken hearts happen all day long. So we, we want to fix it, but we don't know how. She won't talk to me. She won't trust me. And, and, and then the dude's like, so, so you need to tell her, open her heart. So, okay, I'm going to tell her, but here's the problem. She can't because you'll kill her. She's got this much life left in her. And if she opens her heart again and you don't know how to protect it, you will kill her. So, sir, I've got to focus here before I can get this here. And then it takes the, whole, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You hear what I'm saying right now? The wisdom of the Holy Spirit is the only way. Michael, it's the only way that anything can even get fixed when it gets at that level. I mean, there's simple things. Like, you know, okay, just go ahead and put the seat back down. Now, that's a simple one. That's simple. You know, you really should squeeze it from the bottom and just give it to them. Who cares, right? That's a simple one. But when they come in and they just say, I, I don't love this person anymore. 
Or here's the, here's the 20, 2021, 2022 version. I, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm going this direction right now. So, Guard your heart. The danger of an unguarded heart, listen to me real quick. The danger of an unguarded heart is that you go in a direction you did not intend. You didn't start out wanting to divorce. You didn't start out wanting an affair. You didn't start out wanting a bankruptcy. You didn't start out wanting a habit. You didn't start out wanting to crush that person. But the danger of an unguarded heart is that you'll end up doing things you didn't intend to do. You with me? Am I too intense right now? You're so quiet, it's making me nervous, man. Like, all right. So do that for me. Just like breathe or move or... Pastor killed them all there. Yeah. You go in a direction that you didn't intend. Listen to me. An unguarded heart will cause you to go in a direction you didn't intend. Now listen to me. Including in your beliefs. At one moment, you are sold out to Jesus. But because you didn't guard your heart, and it doesn't happen in 24 hours, suddenly you find yourself, the first stop is you're just not quite where you were with the Lord. And then eventually you become cold towards the things of the Lord. And then eventually the things that used to interest you, the things that you used... See, see, most of you are here because you're not in this place. The ones that I'm really talking to right now aren't here today because they've moved from where they were to where they are. Everything begins to offend them. At one moment, so I'm going to use... At one moment, I used to be the greatest preacher in the world to them. And now I say things that aggravate them. He aggravates me so much. Plus, he's short. No short person should say things like that. The danger of an unguarded heart is that you go a direction that you did not intend to go. It will change your beliefs. It will change your relationships. The danger of an unguarded heart is that you become indifferent to spiritual things eventually. What used, to, what used to intrigue you, what you used to wake up and be excited about, you loved the presence of the Lord. You loved the presence. You loved that. You lived for that. You could drink and eat and be satisfied by that. But then when this thing gets in your heart and it begins to poison you and harden you and your heart gets cold, you become indifferent to those things. But you were created... I'm just going with it. You were created to engage. You were created to be excited. You were created to find something with meaning and purpose. And when you don't find it in the things that truly are meaningful, you will turn to meaningless things. Because you won't just sit at home and watch TV. You will do things that you would have never done. Things that you justify, slow but sure. 
And then you're in that place and you're just like... And a moment like this causes people to realize, man, I'm not where I used to be. And maybe it's okay. It's not okay. Um, so let's... The danger of an unguarded heart, you go in a direction you didn't intend with habits, but mostly it ends up really with God. And here's the good news. I don't want to leave you there. Here's the good The only reason I even expose those things and spend a moment there is to tell you repentance can change your heart. Counseling may not be able to change your heart. Circumstances probably will not change your heart. Money won't change your heart. A new spouse won't change your heart. A new job won't change your heart. A new house won't change your heart. A new location won't change your heart. A better vacation. You'll find yourself doing all of these things because deep down inside what's really going on is your heart knows something's wrong. Something's wrong. You're looking for experience. It's got to fix. I just got to have the right experience to fix this. Repentance can change your heart. Repentance can change a cold heart to a hot heart. Repentance can change a hard heart to a pliable soft heart. Repentance can change an indifferent heart to an on fire, dedicated, fully committed heart. Repentance can take a damaged heart. This is the power of God. Repentance can take a crushed, damaged heart and in minutes breathe life back to it and fix it. And you think, no, no, if I could fix that thing, then I'll fix my heart. The thing is not the problem. Your heart is the problem. <laughs> I had the staff, uh, remember, what time is it? Oh, my gosh, I'm 10 minutes in the red already. Ah! Um, I had the staff member, this goes back several years. They're not on staff anymore, so don't try to figure it out. <laughs> and they... Um, very talented um, but they had this wound in them and I didn't recognize the extent of the wound they were very wounded from a situation before they came to work for us now here's what we do when we go for a job interview or we go on a date or we, we hide the wound of course right we have to we hide the wound but once you hire somebody you will find out if they have a wound once you marry somebody, you will find out if they have a wound. Once you become friends with somebody, you'll find out if they have a wound. Now, this isn't avoid wounded people. In fact, we're called to heal wounded, broken hearts. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you because He's anointed you to heal the brokenhearted. Luke chapter 4, read it for yourself. It's why we exist today, to reconcile people to God and to heal broken hearts. We heal broken hearts. Hmm. I have like four conversations with God while I'm preaching to you. <laughs> That'd be an awesome name for a ministry. Um, okay. So I hired this couple, and uh, she actually had the wound 
and her husband then took on her wound. So that everything was offensive. You know, when you have a wounded heart, everything goes through the wound. So something that's meant to be kind goes through the wound of offense, and when it comes out the other side, it's all messed up. What you said is not what they heard. What you did is not what they feel. So they, they come shortly after we hire them, and they say to me, man, we just don't feel like we're a part of anything. We feel like you treat everybody else like you bring them in, you don't bring us in. And I'm like, what am I doing? And they like tell me a couple of things, and I'm like, that's how you read that? Okay, so we're getting ready to go to this conference, and it's in Phoenix. And I said to them, hey, why don't you guys go with us? You know, I'm, I'm, let, me, let me do something that just shows you that we want you around. We love you. We, we want you to be with us. So we go to Phoenix, right? They're excited. We go to Phoenix, and then we check into the hotel. Not five minutes later, knock on, did you open the door? And the dude comes in, and he goes, Pastor, this is just the proof that... I'm like, what is it? Our room is farther than everybody else's is. She's back in the room right now, just sure it's because you don't want us to be near you. Is that, do you really not want us to be near you, Pastor? Yeah, I, you laugh about it now, but we all can get in those places. We all get in those places. So, so like, I'm like, So sit down here. Now we're going to, I'm going to show you a side of me you haven't seen either. <laughs> Just tell them, dude, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your hearts. What's meant to be a blessing, everything's a curse to you. What is wrong? Well, now I hear it. And you know, just because somebody tells you what it is doesn't mean that fixes it. And this grows worse. So we come back from everything we did. Everything, no matter how nice it was, was an offense to them. They, they wore it through this wound. Am I making any sense to you right now? Okay, okay. So um, not more than like three or four months goes by, and it's at a crisis area, and they've done this with almost everybody. And so Dan Deme and I, we pull them in, and we just say to the two of them, listen, you guys, this is not working. You're like nuclear fallout. It, it doesn't just self-contain between the two of you. You're pulling everyone into your offense. You're bringing everyone into it. You're pulling everything backwards. You've got to stop this. And I'm not just telling you, don't talk about this. You need to repent. You need to forgive and you need to repent. You need to get your hearts right. Because unless you get your hearts right, we can't go forward. In other words, you can't work here and act like that. And I know it's not just turn a switch on or off. God has to do something. So I'm going to give you some time off with pay, and you need to get before the Lord, and you need to come back and tell me that you fixed this, and if you haven't, you cannot continue here. Now, if you're offended, I'm a jerk for saying that. But if you get what I'm trying to do, it's got to be fixed. You know, most of the time, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't have a lot of staff that's like that, but from time to time, something like that you end up dealing with. Most of the time, when you confront it, people aren't willing to really deal with it. It's just one more proof to them that the world's against them. And so then they'll leave and they just keep... Now they're offended about... It's one more offense that they've stacked up in their life. They've got a list of them. And now I'm the latest one who's hurt them and offended them. But every once in a while, 
Someone actually listens. I wish those 11 o'clock people would listen like you do. (laughs) And they literally, God touched their hearts. You, You know who I'm talking about. You remember, don't you? You remember, don't you? They were like completely different people. I mean, literally, it was like overnight. You can't, you can't, see, here's the thing. You can't fake this. There's no way to fake this. A heart that has done this, that's truly, it's just God has taken out the poison and they're now eating from the tree of life. It changes everything. They became the servants of all servants. Before, they wouldn't do anything for anybody. They wanted everybody to do things for them. And even if they did it for them, it still to them was done the wrong. Like, it was the weird, it has gotten so poisonous. But the Lord, it was one of those ones I can point to. And it was like, I can prove to you that Jesus Christ is alive and on the throne. And I had them get up in front of the staff and tell what Jesus did for them. And we celebrated with them. And we rejoiced with them. And today, we are great friends with them. They're missionaries now. We are great friends with them. It's a really power. And some of you right now, I see you've been here long enough. Mm, I, oh, now I know who he's talking We've sent several missionary couples out. So don't think that you know. But it was, it was like, this is a couple who was born again, loved Jesus. If they died, they're going to heaven. Their faith was in Christ, their trust. But they had wounded hearts. They didn't guard their hearts, and they ended up in this really bad place. And it was a last-ditch effort of, you've got to let God do this, or it's going to be one more, down the road you go. And they had so many of them. Hmm. See, I'm talking to somebody right now, and that's why I got stuck here. And my guess is I'm talking to more than one somebody right now. And so here's what's going to happen today. I'm just going to prophesy to you. You're going to go home, and if this doesn't get fixed, I'm a jerk. All that guy does is just, like, poke. He's harsh. No love in that man. He's hard-hearted. He talks about hard-hearted. That's why he's hard-hearted. Are you going to go home, and you're going to realize, oh, God. I've wasted so much time. Time's the most precious asset you have. Why give one more moment to live in your life with the enemy writing the script? Praying, God, I want want what you want for me, but then this unguarded heart, you're letting the devil write the script for you. What time is it? It says 18 minutes late. 10.32. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. No, no, no. I can't. I'm sorry. For the fill in the blank sake, it's worldly or godly sorrow. Just so that you have the fill in the blank. Worldly or godly sorrow. Remember there's false humility and there's real humility. There's false repentance and there's real repentance. False repentance is like me when my mom was going to take my driver's license away. 
I was so sad that I'm like, I'll never do it again, but my heart hadn't changed. If she handed me that driver's license, I would have within 24 or 36 hours done something else that I shouldn't have been doing. My heart was not in the right place. Am I making sense? My mom was wise enough. She took my license away for 90 days. I was so mad at her. There has never been a worse woman in the history of the world. She probably saved my life. She probably saved my life. I'm just going to skip to the end, guys, and do the last scripture. Haley? Yeah, thank you. This is Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Listen to me real quickly. Like, what kind of an end scripture is that, Pastor? There is a way that in our mind, when our hearts are unguided and we have all this going on, we think we're right. We feel justified to feel the way we feel. We feel that we're right to be angry and to be hateful. We feel we're right to put our foot down. No one's going to push me around. You justify it. See, it doesn't come. The devil will use whatever it is that appeals to you. Not just what appeals to me. He'll walk that well-worn path in your life where he knows how to appeal to your flesh. And it will, you will feel right. This is, I am right. You are dead right. You're right, but you are dead right. Trying to convince people in marriage. You can be dead right or you can be humble. You get to choose. And some people go, well, it's worth it to me to be right, even if the marriage ends. Oh, I'm just like. You with me? And a person can shake their fist to God. I'm right. And when all of eternity suddenly opens up, and everything's truly exposed, what do you think that will be worth on that day? If I was wrestling you right now, I just got you pinned. I got your shoulders on the ground, not because I want to win, because I want you to surrender to Jesus. Maybe you are hurt. Maybe you're justified to feel like what was done to you was wrong. My question to you is, what are you going to do about it? If you have to be right, then I guess you have to be right. I'll give you an alternative. Open your heart to Jesus right now. If anybody knows what it's like to be falsely accused, to be abused for doing the right thing, not the wrong thing, to be ridiculed, to have everything taken away. To be the only one who ever lived perfectly. And then to end up having it cost you your life. And the only reason I have point that to you. That the way out of this is not for you to be right. It's for you to bow your knee to Jesus. And to say, God, you're going to have to take this too.
It's just killing me. It's killing me. I'd rather my heart be soft and pliable than to have to be right. I'd rather have peace and joy and experience love than to know forever that everybody found out that I was innocent. You get to choose. And like if you're young and you're like, well, I got a lot of energy, Pastor, and I think I could fight for the next 20 years. Oh, what if we spent those 20 years doing awesome things in the kingdom of God instead of you wrestling every day with stupid stuff? Father, I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm not quite sure, Lord, why I got in the place that I'm at right now. I know that I tell you every time it belongs to you and I'll go wherever you want me to go. My notes don't come first. The voice of the Holy Spirit does. And for whatever reason, Lord, you had me go after this offense thing. I know it's kind of bigger than that, but if I summed it all up, it's a heart that's a heart that's been misled. It's not in the right place. I would think, I know for me, that the most frustrating place in life is when you want something so bad and you just can't, you can't get there. And it's like, you're here today because you've bowed your knee to Christ. You love Him. You've given your heart to Him. But your life is not full of love and peace and joy and kindness and mercy gentleness self-control in fact you're like far away from that and but you love Jesus and it's so frustrating because you're like oh man pastor you preach those things or I see somebody else experience this why not me and I'm trying to tell you, God loves you as much as he loves equally everybody in this room. And he's not treating you like some foreigner who doesn't have a right to be an heir to all that Jesus provides. You are a child of the king with a right to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and mercy and gentleness and self-control. You have a right to those things. And when you're not living those things, there's a breakdown. And for most of us, it's in the heart. And it's such a deceitful thing because you can't see it. The Apostle Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching. Somehow God can use the foolishness of preaching. I don't know what it is, but it's when we preach that the Holy Spirit can take those words and He can pry open an area of our mind or our heart and suddenly we say, oh, there it is. That's it. You were right. Ah, dang it. But the good news here is you get to do something about it today. Bow your knee again. Humble yourself again. Repent again. If my people who are called by my name will seek my face and pray. And repent, turn from their wicked ways. People in a covenant. I didn't get a chance to go there, but the book of Revelation, chapter 2, starts with an angel. To the angel of the church at Ephesus, write these words. I know all the good things you do, says Jesus. 
but this one thing I hold against you. You have lost your first love. You are not passionate for me. I do not come first. Your heart is not towards me. Therefore, I counsel you. Repent. Go back and do the things you used to do. Turn away from this thing that's killing you and turn back towards me. He's writing it to believers. If I pierce your heart today, don't be mad at me. Don't be angry with me. Don't push me away. Let the piercing get rid of all the hardness and bring in all of the pliable and the softness and the newness that God wants in your life today. See, this is God's mercy and His grace poured out on you right now. Oh, He loves you. Father, I need a miracle right now. God, I need you through the Holy Spirit to renew hearts that are broken, to renew lives, God, that are off track, to remind people of their first love and bring them back to that passion, God, that they had for you. God, I need a miracle right now. This message is going to stop short. I can't do it, but you can. Lord, take this, your people. Cause them, Father, to repent today. God, we make a choice to be soft in your hands. Remove from our heart every callous, hardened, rebellious attitude, idea, habit, sin. Be merciful to us again today. Church, tell him, be merciful again to me today. Be merciful to me. Say it with me. Be merciful to me, God. Be merciful to me, God. Help me. God, I need you. Help me. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I give you praise right now. In Jesus' name, amen.